everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy News is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Uh, happy ACC, ACC Media Days was this week, not last week, right? My, my, my timeline is jumbled. Yeah, it was ACC Media Day like last week, and then Syracuse had like a media day like this week. Yes. And then there was the, happy. They, they had the voting uh, released this week, though. For ACC media. That's okay. Happy Buddy Beheim is uh, going to take over the universe week, I guess. Uh, first, getting all ACC hype, which makes sense, getting all American hype, which is like, I guess, not terribly surprising given how last season ended and all of the immense hype. Like, he was one of the stars of the NCAA tournament, uh, and he's, you know, Buddy Beheim. Um, but man, <laughs> it really took off this week. <laughs> yeah, like, like a rocket ship. Um, kind of want to. Uh... To make a uh, Photoshop of Buddy with the uh, Infinity Gauntlet and all of his sponsors on it. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, while, while Jim looks looks looks, looks, uh, looks over his shoulder, like disappointed about the situation for some reason, but not pertaining to his son, really. Uh, yeah, it, shockingly, Jim Beheim's thoughts on NIL are not fully fleshed out. <laughs> also, imagining Jim. Saying uh, reality's always left me disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) You could really just recast um, Infinity War and Endgame with uh, the Syracuse notables, and I feel like it would work. (laughs) But just for the sake, there was a couple more, a couple three, uh, a couple more three-point football losses, and we may be (laughs) thrust into that world. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get to that misery. Don't you worry. Then I figure we talk hoops at the for the first few minutes of this uh, before we get into um, the, the the most recent three point football loss followed by what hopefully isn't another one um, next weekend, well this weekend I suppose. Dan uh, assembled media said that Syracuse is the seventh best team for men's basketball this season um, in the projected standings. How do we feel about that? Um, I, I had a tr- I had trouble getting too worked up about it. I think it's relatively fair, especially considering a how last season ended, but also the major question marks about the roster. Which you know, this feels like it could have been in any episode uh, over the last five years. Um, but also in general, like uh, you know, I don't think this was like a super complete team last year. But we saw the uh, what it did do at its best in the tournament. Um, and then you throw in like Buddy, you throw in hopefully Benny having uh, the five star impact. Although as we've discussed at length now, it's you know he's being very very much like slow walked up to the season here. Um, but seventh is like I mean it's higher than we've been the last couple of years in these where I feel like we've been ranked like tenth and stuff, which again hasn't always it, it doesn't feel good, but it hasn't always been super unfair given how things have gone. So I think seventh is fair, like. You're right on the you're in the right in the NCAA tournament range, which I think is a fair expectation. Um, you know, most years seventh in the ACC is a pretty good team. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm not not too uh, not too worried about it. Yeah, all reasonable. And and like looking at this list too, like there is a clear demarcation line um, between you know SU in seventh and, and Notre Dame in eighth. Notre Dame got 599 votes. Syracuse got 781 votes. Um, Notre Dame was number eight there. Um, Syracuse is the first team ranked in order not to receive any first place votes. Uh, Duke had 47, FSU had 14, UNC 5, Virginia 9, Vatek 5. I feel like that's probably the most they've ever had. Um, And Louisville 1 before you get to Syracuse. Um, So Syracuse also, you know, maybe 
maybe showing that everyone's kind of on the same page with them. Um, like they're not necessarily boosted by, you know, a couple of random first place votes. I feel like a lot of people probably had them somewhere between like five and eight. Yeah, that feels right. I also, just as an aside, I do want to appreciate the extremely funny um, Coach Jay getting preseason coach of the year. It's like, oh, you mean the award that uh, is 100% driven by narrative more than any other award in like sports? Um, the coach of the year awards is done to go to the guy who's retiring and uh, stepping away from a legendary career. Like, what would ha- have to happen for him to not get that award this year? Losing like many games he did last year. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it, like the, it's going to be so astronomically weighted. Like I feel like he's going to get so many. Like, there's there's going to be people in the media that will vote for him if they go three and like twenty eight. Like just because of what's going on this year. So I, I really I appreciate like preseason awards are stupid to begin with, um, but I really appreciated that one in in uh, you know specifically um, because like yeah it's it's just like there's there's no like you you kind of know why someone gets player of the year and like sometimes there's controversies but it's all like you know numbers based and like teams wins play an effect the the coach of the year is always i mean it's it's generally just like who was better than people thought they were the most who over who uh outpaced expectations the most but also it's so narrative heavy that like yeah if if dude's at all decent like coach jason did it so um shout out to us having that to 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 vote upon not us specifically but like the media world like what what a silly thing to vote a preseason uh, award for yeah i mean really coach of the year is probably the worst one because it's i feel like it's the most dependent on what happens and yeah right like like you can kind of give a projection of who you think the best player is gonna be but like no one knows who the best coach is gonna be no one knows what like eighth place team is in a top finish in second and that's like how this award's always given out so um yeah we'll see what happens but i i, I was entertained by that um and that has nothing to do with syracuse except for like the general ACCness of it but he and he and Jim are friends, haven't you heard? Yeah, they're they're, they're best friends. When, when Jim won was eight hundred games, um, I think Kay had a uh, had a thing at the dome that uh, where, where he um, congratulated Jim for hitting the mark. I think that was eight hundred. I think it was when we were at Syracuse. I was there, so I, I think it was eight hundred. Might have been nine hundred. Eight or nine both. Nine hundred, the first ten. <laughs> Jim, they're best friends, and Jim is definitely not going to coach until he passes him. That's definitely not a thing that's going to happen. It would take a lot, admittedly, for that to happen. Um, yes, but... <laughs> but yeah, so I, I do remember Coach K congratulating him on the on the dome and, uh, screen, the old dome screen, um, and, and, and a lot of uh, a lot of Syracuse fans having things to say about Coach K at the time. Um, and that was before we faced him every year, um, at, at least once. But yeah, I, I think that I think the gym could go thirty-one and zero, um, and announce he was retiring the last day of the year, the season, and and Kay would still win this award. Yes, it would be like it, I just I can't imagine what it would take. Um, but yes, it, it's uh, it's something. Um, just the preseason stuff's always so goofy, and like I get why they do it. Like I'm I'm in this team. I'm 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 aware, but it, it's hard to like take too much of it seriously. Not that I, not that I don't appreciate Buddy Beheim uh, appreciation week, which we've had. So um, I'm all for that. Yes. One more thing before we leave the basketball train. Um, the ACC neatly put these into two columns. The uh, first seven teams, which I mentioned before, had the uh, had the most votes by by far, and then there was the second the second group of eight teams um, that did not have as many votes. 
Um, Notre Dame is number eight. NC State is number nine. Georgia Tech is 10. Clemson 11. Miami is 12. Wake Forest is 13. Pitt is 14. BC is 15 with 112 votes total. Duke had 1,132 for reference. Um, Dan, of those uh, eight teams, which one do you think has the best shot to be like a top four squad this year? Or is that not even within the realm of possibility for these teams? Um, it's it's tough. I think uh, going through maybe Miami. I just feel like Miami has just had such a weird stretch of years here where they have like a really good player in Isaiah Wand, who's first team preseason all ACC which I now bring up after making fun of preseason <laughs> awards. <laughs> um, uh, and and uh, uh, Uga Poplar is, has pretty high expectations as a freshman. He, he had some freshman of the year votes, or a freshman of the year vote. And like Jim Laranega, I think, um, you know, gets plenty of credit. He's, he's a, probably one of the better coaches in this league overall. And I just feel like they're, they're ready to break out of this little like mini slump they've had. Um, I don't know that they're, it'll be good enough to finish top four. But it just feels like they they are like kind of bubbling under and and things have gone so wrong for them in a lot of ways that are like beyond the control of the people who run that program that you kind of think if they just have like a clean season, which I know as Syracuse fans we all know is, is easier said than done, um, they could bounce back. But then like Clemson wouldn't shock me because they've been pretty uh, consistent. Obviously, NC State, and Notre Dame have talent, but don't always put it all together. But yeah, I'll, I'll go Miami as like a kind of a sleeper pick. Yeah. I think I'll go. I go Georgia Tech to be honest. I, I feel like Tech's kind of like knocking on the door a bit. They they got some stuff going last last the uh, towards the end of last year. Passner's yeah. kind of found himself, I think. I'll, I'll I'll give them some credit, even if it's not top five or top four, top five, and they could find themselves in the top half. Um, Notre Dame too, um, although they're not far out from there to begin with. Um, I feel like every year there's, like, one of these teams that, like, it doesn't finish top four. Like, there's someone that no one expected that finishes, like, top six. Yeah, us. Hopefully <laughs> us. It'd be nice. Why not we? Yes. We have Buddy Beheim. Haven't you heard? <laughs> and how you could have missed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, unfortunately, we put it off long enough. We have to talk about what happened against um, Clemson. I am... I, I, I'm not thrilled. Uh, I'm sure you are not thrilled. I think nope. I would have been I would have been more okay with it to be honest if we just never showed up um, as it seemed like we were going to do for the first three quarters. I had this discussion going because I was at a wedding in in Rhode Island over the weekend, a Syracuse wedding. Watched that game with like a dozen or so Syracuse grads. Um, and driving up, I, I had this, a discussion with my friend. Um, whether it would be worse if we just lost like by 10 and we were never really in it, it wasn't like a blowout blowout but it was like you know your standard like didn't 20, really compete yeah or if we lost by three again on a last second miss field goal and uh uh listener guess what happened it was just like he and, and, and you know like at, at, right after the game first like i wrote the coaching staff like a little bit of slack and i was like yeah well like this wasn't as much on the coaching decisions and the more i kept thinking about it over the weekend the more and more annoyed i got like even that night uh, for those that read my saturday piece around you know i don't even know what to do with this um like most of my reaction pieces that sound like they have a lot of like clarity and like 24 hours to breathe like nope those are written right after i write the quick recap 
and, and I think that's never been more obvious perhaps than this one, uh, where I was just kind of speechless about like what exactly we um, have been witnessing, are continuing to witness. It's just, there's been some really puzzling coaching decisions. The uh, play calling has its moments, but I think increasingly we really are um, just kind of in this YOLO offense where um, the ball is given to Schrader. Schrader can mess around a bit if he wants. Um, and otherwise, like, we'll see, I guess. But the only way we're moving the ball consistently is on the ground. Um, I, I think that we had some shades of Rutgers here and that we abandoned the run for an extended amount of time. I mm-hmm. think that we should have known that DeVito was transferring when he didn't get the ball once in this one, when it was very clear that we couldn't, we weren't running the ball and that we also couldn't throw despite Clemson daring us to and giving us multiple opportunities to pick up some big gains. But really, realistically, like this was, this was a lack of aggression and the lack of time management ability once again um, against Clemson, but also just overall. And, and I think that's the biggest bummer here. And, you know, I, I, was, I was very confused when it seemed like the team was immediately playing for, um, you know, overtime against a Clemson team that they only showed they were competent against for like seven minutes. So I, I, I just hope I don't have to see this again this weekend, but I'm not, I'm not sold on that not being my fate once again. It's really frustrating because it just feels like, if not the same exact decisions, the same like tenor of decisions that we keep on doing and keep on not working. Um, and it, uh, just like as we're introing here, like I think about like Wake the Wake Forest game and the uh, decision to let them uh, to try to force them back, and it, it's interesting because like obviously Wake Forest ticker is like a super dangerous weapon, and like that's how we felt about Schmidt for a long time, and uh, you know. I, kickers are notoriously not consistent year over year. That's that basically goes for everyone. That's not Justin Tucker at every level. Um, but I think Wake Forest, the fact that their kicker doesn't hasn't missed, he also hasn't taken a field goal over what what was it like forty seven yards or something. It was like about where we would have forced him to kick. Like we constantly, um, you know, that's a team that's not putting their kicker who is very accurate but may not have the range. Um, in positions to succeed, and we over and over do not put Schmidt in positions to succeed. We we act like he's automatic from fifty five. When no, he's automatic from like forty three in, and that's great, and that's a huge weapon to have. Um, but we keep on giving him these like really huge game on the line kicks, and like at a certain point, you just have to know what you have and know that like, hey, putting the offense out there, and then a not putting your field goal kicker in a bad position, but then b trying to actually win the game in regulation against a more talented opponent who has looked like they were ready to break one like over and over and they didn't because their offense is bad um, and credit to our defense for like doing basically everything you would hope. Like somehow Derek Trader outpassed uh, DJ uh, Uyandale, um, who had the same kind of mediocre game he's had all year. We held their rushing attack to uh, barely over three yards of carry, uh, just 116 yards. John Tucker eclipsed that himself by a lot. Like we did everything we, we could have hoped to do. I think we outgained Clemson by 40 yards. Um, but yeah, it's just like you, they're still the more dangerous team. They're uh, a team that you know everyone has circled on their calendar. You have to go out and beat that team. You can't just like hope that overtime just kind of plays out in your favor. It's just it's it's just not the way to go win that game. So again, very frustrating. Um, it, it just constantly feels like Babers. I, uh, another discussion I had this weekend, like I, it kind of feels like Babers is coaching for his job, but he's doing it by making the most conservative decisions possible because he's afraid of the 
backlash for making an aggressive decision. But like, I'm I'm on Twitter all the time reading these games. You know, people get mad if something doesn't work, but people are clamoring for the aggressive decision. Those are, that's what we saw in those first couple of years when we're like we were in the faith without evidence phase and we hadn't won ten games yet, but like it felt like something was building. We were being aggressive. We were going out to try to beat these big teams. We beat a couple of them. We beat Clemson when they were much better than they were this year um, with a worse, with probably a worse Syracuse team than we had this year. So it's, yeah, it just remains very frustrating. It feels like kind of a, uh, like we're pushing this like boulder up, you know, the, the Sisyphus thing where you're pushing the boulder up the hill and then the boulder that is like a bold decision late in the game just keeps on rolling us over. Yeah. And, and honestly, like I just, it's 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 conservative approach, but then it's just like this this idea constantly that that the other team won't also do something <laughs> like 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 after we do something, and and and, and it it just defy. I mean, like the Florida State game, for instance. It's like great, like let's 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 tie the game. Well, you know what they could also do, win the game. <laughs> like, like just acting like like once you do the conservative thing that nobody else can counterpunch you, um, it, it, it's it's puzzling. I'm I'm very frustrated by it against a team like Clemson in particular, and not the first time we've done this against Clemson, where we've really just kind of like again played for for either a tie or just played for for a closer result. I mean, I there's shades of what happened against Clemson in 2018 here too, where you just saw. A lot of time management issues and, and and just a general approach that like oh well like Clemson won't be able to do X like if like the walking through like the the end um, sequence for for Syracuse on offense you see SU get to what third and two um, and then immediately call a timeout with um, I think like a minute left now given how Tucker was running like a man on fire in that game in the, in the on that drive what why would you do that when you have timeouts. Like what, what would, it was very frustrating. Like just run the ball, like, like run the ball, get a first down, then call a timeout. Like now you have a fresh set of downs and now you can pass the sidelines. Now you can even run Tucker again if you want later on to get you into better position. Like for a field goal, I'm just, I, I'm, I won't claim that I'm a better decision maker than someone whose job it is to make decisions about football. But at the same time, I'm very confused as to how the decisions are being come about. Faber seemed to indicate um, during Monday's presser that um, that these things are uh, that there's like somebody doing the like math or like just giving his uh, like time management tips during. And I'm, I'm very curious to figure out who this person is because I have some real qualms with them this year. That was even that was even more frustrating is when Babers is like, yeah, we have all the data and we have all the info and we have these we also uh, don't analytic, and we just don't use them. We go with our gut. I'm like, if you want to go with your gut once and it doesn't work, fine. Like, I'm I'm not an automaton who thinks that the analytical decision is right 100% of the time. When, it's, when, you, when you lose so many three-point games, maybe start going with the analytics just to see what's up, just to see what happens. Like, because three-point games those swing on like one or two moments in games a lot of the time. And we're constantly failing on decision-making to, to lead to those moments. It's not even like we're failing to make the plays. We're just failing to put ourselves in the best position to make those plays. So it, yeah, it's very frustrating. And it's just like, you know, what the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. That's what I feel like we're caught in now. Like we said so easily, we could already be bowl eligible. If you just like, if it, if things just went a different way and we're just, like on these coin flip games, it's like we're not even flipping the coin. We're just like, 
no, we'll just uh, we'll just we'll just take tails, and we know it's heads. We know heads is what we need, but we'll just take tails. It's like, no, like give us a shot. Like we're 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 a team that like you need to have stuff go right for have those special seasons, like we saw a couple years ago, where like special teams made such a big difference and aggressiveness made such a big difference, and having like you know we have a, a generational at least for for Syracuse quarterback, but um, I don't think we're that far behind then. Like it's not as good a team as 2018, but. It's better than a lot of these other Syracuse teams we've had in recent years. I think it's probably better than the 2013 team that made a bowl. And it's we're just not putting ourselves in the best possible possible position to 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 have these things happen late in games. And it's just it's hard to put it to anything aside from like just a lack of of faith in the offense for one thing. Even though it's the offense that is like getting us in the position to at least like be competitive, um, and has a, a running back who has 1,100 total yards already on the season. Like there are, the offense is kind of broken, but there's still some stuff that works. And if you have no faith in it, then like I just don't know what we're doing here. Like that also falls on you for making the decisions in game planning and and management that have led to this situation. So I don't know. I, I just just like go don't lose a game because you were too aggressive once. Like I would much rather do that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree there. I, I think ultimately, like it's great that Tucker is is as great as he is. I. I think it's awesome that he could potentially break a lot of records in Syracuse this year, uh, whether he has 44 or not. Um, you know, we, we, we've already made our piece there um, in, in terms of what we want versus what's going to happen. Uh, but, but, but at the same time, like, no matter what number he's wearing, he's still one of the most dynamic running backs in the country. Um, that's awesome. I wish that SU was good enough. And really, they could be if they made different decisions. Um, in game good enough for him to really get all the national hype that he deserves. And you saw some of that come about, um, come about you know, with some of the midseason lists and, and, and all that. And that's great. And But hopefully, like, everyone remembers that. Um, hopefully everyone remembers that at the end of the season when, you know, Syracuse is like 4-8 and eight or 5-7 and seven, and Tucker's rushed for, like, 1,700 yards. But, like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's, like, really good. And, and, and if he's still averaging, you know, like well over like six yards of carry and everything else, like hopefully everyone like recalls that um, and still gives them gives him all of the uh, all the props that he deserves. Because I, I really do think that you know, we talked about this over the offseason, like there's certain positions that it's great to have an All-American or a first round draft pick or an early draft pick um, or an all-conference guy. And like running back's one of them uh, where like if you can if you can have an all-conference running back or quarterback. Um, or a defensive end or a corner, like those are things that if you do them repeatedly, um, or even if you do them once, you're able to pitch that. I mean, Deuce Chestnut talked about it, um, about you know how the success of of Andre Cisco played safety, but also you know Iffy and, and now Garrett Williams, and all these people. Like that's even in a short stretch, and like Trill too. Like even in a short stretch, the amount of the amount that they impressed on him about what he could do with Syracuse was like immense. And, and, and I'd love to see, you know, some kids seeing, wow, you know, Sean, look what Sean Tucker did here, despite the fact that, <laughs> that the team wasn't that good, despite the fact that everyone knew he was going to run, despite the fact that the offensive line was questionable sometimes, despite the fact there was no play calling. Like, despite all of that, he still like set every record at the school and, and did this. Like, I want to do that too. And, and I think, the, like, we never put that together um, at the wide receiver position, unfortunately. 
Um, and, and I hope we can here at the running back position, perhaps, which would be like, you know, appropriate for Syracuse if we could do it. Yeah. And, and like, he, it's not even just like, these aren't empty yards anymore. Like he, I mean, they, they weren't to begin with, but they're not like, you didn't just, you can't just say it was Albany or even it was Liberty. Um, like he did it against Clemson, which for all of their faults this year, have one of the best defenses in the country. It, they held Georgia to, to what one, no, no offensive touchdowns. Um, it was just pick six in that game in the 10 to three game. Um, and he ran, he had 170 yards from scrimmage, 177 yards from scrimmage in that game. So like, He's clearly one of the best backs, however you cut it. If the Syracuse is five and two or sits in one right now, like th- there'd be no choice but to put him at least in like serious Heisman talks. So yeah, it, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for him. Obviously it's more unfortunate for the team in, in general, but like, it's not like a waste of a season or anything. It's just like the, the possibilities are so grand here and we just need to, to, to stop like betraying all of the stuff, all the work that's being put in at the end of games by, cowardly decisions so fingers crossed there's a little so a lot of football to be played and like if we bounce back and we make a bowl and we win like four of the last five or or even three of the last even three of these last five and make a bowl like i think that's still a pretty successful season because we kind of had to remake ourselves at mid-year but um you know right now we're not we're not making the decisions that would put us in that position against like a lot of very uh similar if not better opponents yeah i i completely agree i think that this team like I don't want to bank on the what they what they should be or could be, um, because ultimately, like they are what they are from a record perspective. But you can see that the pieces are there if they decide to embrace some more confident decision making to to turn the season, you know, in, in, into what maybe we we hoped it could be, um, you know, just a few weeks ago, even when we were you know three and one, three and two, um, and, and and you know staring down a tough part of the schedule, but also staring down, you know, opportunity. And I think so far, like, while we haven't generated wins with those opportunities um, here in October, um, we have set the stage for what could be an interesting back half of the, back half of the schedule, especially, you know, like Virginia Tech, who knows what, what they have left in the tank. Obviously, um, you know, Boston College injured, um, clearly resetting expectations over there. Um, I don't know why they necessarily had significantly higher expectations than probably the six and six record they wind up with, but whatever. You guys do you. Uh, <laughs> Dan, I, I think I'll kind of walk us in, in, into here um, before we get into some specifics of the Virginia Tech game. So uh, what were you able to drink this weekend at the uh, at the wedding that, that you, you seemed to indicate there was a, there was a pretty nice beer list? Yeah, so I had a decent amount of stuff. Um, I'm trying to go back to last week. Um, all right, so uh, up there, um, had some Blue Paw Wild Blueberry Ale from Sea Dog, which I think is a local New England brewery. Had uh, from the actual venue, which was the Guild in Rhode Island, had some Fest Beer, which is an Oktoberfest, which was solid. Uh, some Grumpy Old Man Brown Ale, which was very good, and some Satilli from Night Shift, which they had on tap, which was delicious. Uh, uh, IPA from Night Shift over in Massachusetts. Um, had a bunch of Treehouse stuff. Had some Julius, which is always a delight. Had some At Ease from them as well, and some Whisper. Um, and then I've also had some resin from Sits Point and some some toasted lager from Blue Point down this way in New York. So pretty active uh, few days. Oh, and some Pumpkin Head from Shipyard. Not... Not quite as pumpkin, but I think pumpkin head's probably my like 
go to other pumpkin beer. Um, it's a little lighter and more drinkable, uh, but also very delicious. So good, good beer week. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely on the lighter end. I uh, I probably put uh, Dogfish Head's uh, pumpkin ale um, above it, but it's also a little less on the lighter side. Alas, um, a couple things. Yeah, sorry, I muted myself there. <laughs> All good. Uh, a couple things on my end. Um, after Syracuse lost, I had some Pliny uh, because I, I, was, I was hoping that I could drink it in celebration, but that was not the case. I had the Beachwood Amalgamator. Um, and as I mentioned last week, I headed to uh, Modern Times, their uh, Anaheim tasting room on Saturday. Super cool spot, hadn't been yet. Um, there's a pool, there's a lot of uh, misters, a lot of outdoor seating, it's a pretty cool spot. Um, was at them, had their uh, Acro Rabbit uh, West Coast IPA. It was Strata Hops. I had their uh, Spectral Trellis, it was a hazy IPA. Uh, it was El Dorado. Uh, hops primarily at Pinnacle Island Pale Ale. Um, this one was a uh, West Coast Pale Ale that was kind of like a pina colada um, flavor. Actually had pineapple and coconut in it, which makes sense. Had their uh, suggestion of mass, um, aging maple, bur maple bourbon barrels, um, affogato edition. That was super, super good. Also had a Storm Armor, West Coast IPA from them. And uh, Broken Empire, uh, that was pretty good and as well. That was a Vienna lager. And then went over to Bottle Logic um, down in Anaheim. Had a study break. It was kind of a like Snickers-inspired um, Imperial Milk Stout. Had a Code Switching. It was a uh, strong ale with a peach, blueberry, maple syrup. It was a Cobbler-inspired uh, beer, which was interesting. Kind of tasted like pie. I also had, uh, speaking of pie, I had a pied science uh, from Bottle Logic. It was a, uh, a berry pie inspired uh, bourbon barrel and imperial stout. Um, and then I closed out with uh, Cosmic Prose. Um, it was a farmhouse ale uh, brewed with modern time, between modern times and uh, Celador here in LA. Pretty nice Saison. Just kind of ends up being like a pale Pilsner, um, kind of oaky notes and vanilla, some citrus on the lighter side, but still good. Yeah, I'm hoping to uh, hoping to get some more more stuff going this weekend. So I think it's we're we're, we're entering the fall, so heavy heavy drinking season here as the uh, the cold winds come in. <laughs> cold winds today here. I uh, was thinking about cracking open beer later, but you have a lot of stuff I picked up from Modern Times, so I'll have some new things to report next week as well. Nice, indeed. So we'll give predictions at the end here, Dan. But realistically, like. How, I guess, first and foremost, how much do you buy the uh, Justin Fuente uh, hot seat talk for, for this game? And do you think that if they lose a third straight here um, after losing to, they're getting smoked by Pitt last week and then uh, barely losing to Notre Dame, um, A, do you think it would be fair to fire him um, given the record? And B, do you think it's fair to fire someone after losing to arguably the best running back in the country? Um, a ridiculously good pit offense this year and a like top 15 Notre Dame team. Uh, it's tough. I, I think it's it without having like watched a bunch of their games, it just feels like they're kind of stagnant. Their offense is pretty brutal overall. Like yeah. Burmeister is their, their leading rusher at 212 yards, uh, which tells you all you need to know. Uh, they're under four yards of carry. He's under seven yards in attempt passing. 
Um, you know, he's like almost like a, you know, I, I guess I'd probably take Schrader's production over his. At least he's more dynamic on the ground. Um, they just don't seem to have that like real spread out explosiveness uh, that um, you would kind of expected from Fuente coming from Memphis. And and just like, I don't know, they're just like really bad vibes coming off that program the last couple of years. Obviously, he's been like floating around the hot seat for a while. Um, and and Vatek obviously has these uh, has these like you know pretty high expectations for the Toastal. Like they, they, you know, they're one of those teams with Miami and UNC that thinks that feels like they should be um, kind of vying for that division every year, and it just hasn't really happened for them um, outside of like I think one of those first years when they won it. But um, yeah, it just it's tough. Like Pitt's pretty good, but they didn't really compete at all. Notre Dame's pretty good; they were competitive in that one, but they still fell. They lost to like a mediocre West Virginia team. It's it's hard. It's tough to point to a lot outside of that first week UNC game when things looked like they were they were really turning around. But UNC is pretty disappointing too. So it's, um, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they fired him. I don't know if they'll do it if they beat if we beat them. I don't know that we're that team. <laughs> like we're pretty competitive too. Um, but at year's end, I mean, if they finish outside of a bowl, I I would or even if they finish like sits and sits, I would probably bet on it. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Honestly, like. Because people were talking about it in the comments today, and, and, and I thought about it myself. Like, would we feel differently about everything with Dino if we were in the Coastal? I mean, for one, if we were in the Coastal um, instead of Pitt, I guess we would have made the ACC championship game a couple of years ago. Um, so that yeah. Maybe we would have beaten Clemson that year. Perhaps. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it Just depends on the conference. Would we, yeah, we, 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 we still would have. Realistically, we still would have not made it if Pitt was still in the if, if Pitt was also in the coastal with us because we ended up um, with the same record, I believe. And we lost. Yeah, it feels team. unlikely that they would have that. Like, I feel like if the, things were different, we would just be in the coastal. They'd be in the Atlantic, but right. you, you never quite know. Yeah, I agree with that. But yeah, honestly, like it was, uh, it, it was interesting because I do feel like yeah, like for us. It's like, ah, oh, well, crap. You know, we got to face Clemson and Florida State every year. And then it was, oh, we got to face Clemson, Florida State, and Louisville every year. And then I was like, all right, we got to face Clemson every year. <laughs> and and, and we're, we still keep like moving the, the goalposts a little bit. But Clemson's like the, 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 the static entity there in terms of like, oh, damn, like we have to face this like really good team every year. While like for Pitt, it's like, all right, well, like you're probably going to win four games against this group of teams and then if you can beat us and maybe like one of the other you know so like maybe you pull off a win over miami or you manage to beat duke on the road and congratulations you're you're in charlotte for the championship and, and that definitely sounds like an easier path um on paper uh perhaps than it actually is but yeah like i i, I do think that like for virginia tech in particular like they're, they're better resourced and better committed to football than just about any program, um, you know, in that division, save Georgia Tech. Um, and I mean, maybe Georgia Tech, to be honest, and, 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 and probably Miami. And really, other than that, like, there's no reason why Virginia Tech should fall any further than third um, in that pecking order. Yeah, it, it, and it obviously the, the Toastal wasn't, didn't we have like the seven straight years of different champions in the Toastal? Yeah. Yeah, so like, it's not like realistic to expect, you know, to, to totally dominate it with Virginia Tech. Because obviously, as I said, there are like other programs that also have that similar thing. But, but they certainly probably thought that they would be getting, you know, top three most years of Fuente. And Fuente felt like a great hire. And, and the way it worked out felt really, 
natural. Obviously, it's tough to move on from a legend like Beamer, but they brought him in. There was, you know, it was all good, good feelings from the start. He was there for the bowl game. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it is it is disappoint. I would be disappointed if I was a Vatek fan, but it, especially because kind of like us, honestly, this offense just looked so meh on paper, and they don't have a Sean Tucker. So um, yeah, it, it, when you have like a pretty great home field advantage most of the time, we saw what that could be in that North Carolina game, and you have you know a really ripe recruiting grounds. Like they should certainly be. Um, in the midst more often, but stuff just, just seemed like really off kilter for them for most of Wente's time there at this point. So uh, hopefully it continues this weekend. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've been talking myself into this one, to be honest. I'm very close to talking myself into it. And I feel like this is me every week, but like there's just, isn't a lot to be super impressed with, with Vatek after that UNC game. And even that UNC game, like does not look like a much, but like it doesn't look great in retrospect. Like it's obviously it's a nice win, but um, Sam Howell also threw three picks. <laughs> um, I think a lot more of that was like UNC really disappointing than Vatek being great. I feel like, I, like we have to do it in this episode, but I feel like uh, in the offseason, I want to look at, or even like the football offseason, I want to look at like the top five projected quarterbacks for the 2022 draft and look at like how their seasons have gone because I feel like the answer is not well. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's fair. It's a good idea. I mean, Rattler. How? <laughs> it is crazy, and, and I've seen a lot of like dumb nil takes about it, and it's like no, like this happens. This happens in, in instances like all the time. It just it doesn't all line up in one year, and it doesn't also all line up in one year after like a major rule change. Um, but we've seen quarterbacks who were like pretty good, like on the precipice of of being like first round picks and stuff fall apart. Like it's not that uncommon. It's just weird that it's happened to like this one group that was like all at one time. Yeah. I actually agree there. Um, yeah. I mean, Danny, you know, we talked about like almost talking ourselves in um, for me, the talking myself in is just the run game. Really. Um, I, I think, you know, you have like for, for Vatek, there isn't much of an offense, but then they can't really run the ball, which means they're going to be more one dimensional, which means they could play into our secondary um, which has not been the strength maybe that we thought it was. But on the other side, um, you know, Vatek's allowing well over four yards a carry. They're allowing over 157 yards a game. Um, Sean Tucker, on the other hand, is just doing whatever he wants. He was able to do whatever he wanted against Clemson, um, by and large, except when they stack the box. Um, my main concern for Syracuse is just if Virginia Tech sees what Clemson did and tries to stack the box as well, um, they do have a top 30 uh, pass defense. So once again, can Garrett Schrader complete passes? And I don't think Virginia Tech's defense is the same as Clemson's by any means, but I do think that it poses a similar challenge. Um, but at the same time, I also think that they're less likely to be able to slow down Tucker enough um, to make us more of a passing-focused team. And, and, and again, hopefully I never have to see uh, Schrader throw 30-plus passes a game ever again. Yeah, like, and and this last week was like the first time where it felt like, obviously the progress had been very incremental at best, but like I thought Schrader was kind of taking steps forward every week, and obviously Clemson's defense is very tough, but last week is the first time where it felt like he kind of regressed, uh, if anything, it just the progression hasn't been as much as we've needed from him as a passer um, to really take a next step, um, but at least it had been like a little bit, um, but 
I guess like the the fact the running game was still good enough to beat up on Clemson, which um, per I mean they're averaging 113 yards allowed per game, but only 3.11 per carry, which is like pretty phenomenal. One of the best marks in the country, 20th in the country, right behind us. Um, we averaged 3.10 defensive uh, yards per game or yards per attempt. Um, Fontet's way down the list. Uh, they are 112th in average per carry. They're almost five. They are uh, actually 82nd, uh, 4.2. I was looking at Virginia. Um, they're at 157 yards per game uh, rushing. So, like, as you said, Tucker should be able to have a lot more daylight. Um, obviously, this wasn't a big issue against Clemson. Uh, but you also hope that, like, the, sh- the counter punches when they do stack the bots and uh, force Schrader to throw it are a little more effective. And, like, I thought we saw some of that in those last couple games, the, the Florida State game, the Wake Forest game. Um, he was hitting on more of those crossing routes. We were, we were designing some better screens to, to leak Tucker out or, or did other things going with some of the receivers. And I think the receivers, like, in what is pretty limited um, pretty limited opportunities have looked pretty good, uh, even without Taj Harris. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of, like, we can't allow them to totally key in on Tucker and then be completely inept when it comes to even completing, like, mid, short to mid-intermediate stuff. Because, obviously, the long, right, the, long, the long passing game is just not there. And now with, with DeVito heading out, it's the, you know, we're all in on Derek Trader for better or worse. Um, you know, it'd be nice if we had like some threat of uh, a pass over 20 yards. Um, that seems pretty unrealistic outside of like one or two really nice throws he's made this year. Um, but he has to just, we, we, he has to be able to do something to counter punch uh, stacking the bots because, you know, no running bats going to be super effective and it's eight guys, uh, eight guys in the box, even Tucker, even when, you know, he's been pretty effective when teams know what's happening for the most part. So, um, yeah, hopefully we take advantage of a defense that's that's pretty seems pretty weak up front. Um, it should be an easier test than Clemson, but also we're on the road. So uh, that's, you know, never the most fun for us. Um, but ultimately, like, I don't think we're a great matchup for them. No, I, I really don't think we are. Um, I was so confused last week when when I saw us, you know, eight in the box and yet Syracuse couldn't find an open receiver uh, to save their lives. It was pretty wild. Um, I'm hoping that's not the case again here. Like you said, though, uh, you, you, while you have no options down the field, um, in part due to talent or lack thereof, and in part due to traders limitations, there should have been options. And I think there were options in many cases, like, um, like in intermediate routes and, and some of the shorter routes. And, and there were plenty of, in that game, you know, and, and we saw the, the two previous games too, where Schrader just missed um, you know, wide open, like very, like wide open receivers, um, you know, in, in, in favor of, you know, whoever he locked in on. I think Courtney Jackson's speed um, is hampered by his uh, kind of pace of the dropsies that he gets every so often. Um, and, and that's unfortunate for us. I think Damien Offord, we've seen spurts, and I think he could be a real weapon downfield if we get the ball to him. Wheelie, we haven't really seen him be able to take off this year because of that. Like Trevor Pena, you look what he was able to do um, on that, like very surprising, so random, um, like seam route that reminded me of like the old um, stuff that like Herb used to do um, and some of the stuff that like Naheem Johnson used to do um, during the 2018 campaign. So the, the, there's guys on this team that can make plays. I don't think that they're a great group of receivers, unfortunately, but I, I think we've had plenty of groups of receivers that were just on paper average to a little bit better than average, but, you know, scheme and quarterback play were able to free them up for more. And, and, and right now, um, 
their limitations are being accentuated by, you know, lesser play calling and, and, and more specifically just a lack of, you know, ability to throw the ball downfield too much. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, if Harris hadn't left, I think this would be a pretty exciting group of receivers based on, like, the little things we've seen uh, that they've been allowed to show. Um, and, and the the Pena, I guess, would be one of the few uh, successful downfield plays we've had. More of that, If I mean, if that's if that's out there somewhere, like, yes, please, let's have more long catch and runs with uh, Trevor Pena, who looked incredible on that play. Um, but you know, unfortunately the consistency just isn't there. And, it, you know, it's mostly, I think it's mostly a Schrader issue, which sucks to say that isn't to say he can't get better. And, and maybe this time next year, he has a whole full year in the offense. If, you know, assuming that if the staff stays and, and we can really kind of figure ourselves out here, but you know, Tommy DeVito had four years in the program and, and we never quite got through the issues that he had. So um, I do think there's like development concerns on top of everything else. So yeah, we'll see. Um, I have like largely talked myself into it, though. Uh, just looking at the numbers and and seeing where Vatak struggles, like it is hard not to see a, a world in which Sean Tucker has like 240 total yards, and and we end up winning the game by three, <laughs> even though it probably should feels like uh, with that number it should be more. I would love to win the game by any amount. I'll take a one point win. Yeah, I'll take on the road point. for sure. One point win on the road, four and four. I, I, I'd say that that would, that would be a, it's weird. I think that if you told us, if you told us we could be four and four at the end of eight, I feel like oh, we would have signed for it. Yeah. Taking that going away. And, and I think that that's always the problem with, you know, adjusting expectations. Um, Dan, before we get to predictions, one more thing for you, I guess, uh, where do you see DeVito landing? Oh, I think, I think there's just going to be too much tape for him to get like, Maybe he'll get like a, a lower power five team that thinks they can kind of fix him. Um, I kind of think it's going to be G5. Um, I I don't know enough about like, the thing was like he committed to us so early and, and also like people go look at the old lists. Those are not super predictive all the time. Um, the, the old recruiting list, like sometimes a guy goes back to a school he was looking at heavily, but often it's just a completely new group. Um, I kind of think it'll be G5. Yeah. I mean, Kent State automatically sticks out uh, that'd be interesting yeah because i mean tommy redshirt at his first year on so he didn't really get as much coaching with lewis and then didn't get on any on-field coaching with lewis um that would be interesting although they've gone more mobile um of late um, at kent state so I'm, I'm, i'm curious to see how that goes uh, for him, I do want Tommy to be able to land somewhere. I hope I hope it's not somewhere like UConn or UMass. Like I hope he actually like gets a shot at like Mac school or or, or just or CUSA school. I mean, like I know last time I think like being closer to home like might have been important. I think this time around it might actually mean that he's like headed way elsewhere <laughs> because like yeah, it might not be the worst thing. He's but... only doing one season, and, and he I needs do... one season to put him in position to get drafted. Yeah, he definitely needs to go somewhere where he can step in and play. And, like, there's no guarantees. Like, you know, it, it's it's easier said than done, especially if you're DeVito, where obviously there's talent there, but there's no, it's not like you can just, like, name your, you know, your QB1 spot, and, and it's not like he's been so good where he can just decide that for himself. But um, I think, yeah, I think going I think going to a G5 with a, with a wide-open offense, doesn't really matter where it is, just go find one. You know, you're only going to be there for – does he have two years left with the weird? I forget the whole situation. You think 
I think next year's is next, it's last year. Okay. I Maybe mean, yeah. So I, 2017 was his first season on campus. Yeah, so 2018 was his redshirt freshman year, 2019, 2020, but he retained 2020. So, yeah, so he has a couple years if he wants them. Um, yeah, I think he needs to go find – uh, somewhere that's going to fit his talent, his skills, a wide open offense, uh, you know, running four or five wide, like we were doing more of in 2018. Um, and somewhere he can try to just put up gaudy numbers and make the league. Cause that's, that's still has to be the goal. And he wouldn't be the first guy to leave a power five program for a G five and find a ton of success and, and at least, you know, find himself into the back end of the draft. So it's certainly not unheard of. I, you know, I don't think there's any reason for Syracuse fans not to support him in that. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. Great. Speaking of uh, quarterbacks who want to transfer elsewhere, Spencer Rattler, if you're listening, uh, we, we'd love to have you. <laughs> um, I'd love to have us. <laughs> that would be uh, that'd be something. <laughs> I, I don't I, even know how to process I, that idea. I don't think Rattler is so far removed from being considered great that like that we or any program like us has a shot. Um, I think he's going to go to a big school. It's just going to be, it's going to be kind of like the reverse Tyler Murray where he goes to a big school, gets a fresh start. Um, I mean, he was really good last year. Like, you know, it took him a little while and people, I think that sticks out to a lot of people is like the, they, it was a slow start for him last season, but by the end of the year, he was cooking. He roasted Florida in that bowl game. Um, I think, I don't know if Caleb Williams is like presence just shook him or what happened this year. Um, I know overall Oklahoma's offense took a, a step back, but uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be selling all of my Spencer Rattler stock um, for the long term at this point. Uh, I don't know that he's coming to Syracuse to duel it out with Derek Schrader, but maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Can't say he's not. Yeah. <laughs> Until he goes elsewhere, you you, you cannot say that. Uh-huh. That'd be one way for Dino to really just like drive this fan base crazy. He's <laughs> every year he's bringing in a new transfer, uh, shiny new transfer quarterback with a radically different skill set, and just throwing us all off guard. Well, especially given, like, you know, Syracuse fans' obsession with the backup quarterback. <laughs> like, it's a long history of, of always thinking the other guy is the better fit. That, that, yep. that it, would, it would secure him. He, I mean, he could, he could just stay at SU until retirement. Yeah, I mean, that's I, – I think every family says that to an extent. We, uh, we very much do. You start coming up with, like, different, like – Italian and or waspy names to like plug in at the quarterback position like you do for like three point guards. Anyway. What if we're gonna get to the point if we just follow this rabbit hole down, we're gonna get the Joe Girard play football eventually. <laughs> I'm not ready to go there yet. In the but over the summer. When we really need to drive, when we need a big nice like like listener boost, that's the move. Like don't if you you know, if you already listen, you know what's happening here. But when we need to like really get this engagement going on this podcast, we're having the Joe Girard needs to be the quarterback conversation, and we're not going to be serious about it, but we're going to have it. What if I told you that PG stood for Point God? What if I told <laughs> you that Greg Paulus wasn't the only basketball player who could play football at Syracuse? Oh God, I already dread bringing this up. I mean, I'm going to get bored one day, and it's going to happen. <laughs> I'll play the piano thing, the whole deal. I'll start like filming like fake uh, footage. I'll dub, uh, I'll dub commentary from Bayheim. If we if we lose out, we will report this. We will do a full 
like 45 minutes on why Joe Girard should should trade in his sneakers for cleats. The entire 30 for 30, 30 does something that doesn't happen. And we have to do from 44. Yeah. <laughs> Not Sean Tucker, the guy who is going to have like 2,000 yards this year. We're going to do it to Joe Girard. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? This place would explode. So many people would be so happy and so many people would be so mad. <laughs> Put me in the notes. Like, so mad. Can't. Oh, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't, even, I think I'd be, I'd laugh so much. I wouldn't even be mad. I, like the, the anger that should be built well up inside me wouldn't be able to process <laughs> by how ridiculous it is. All right. On that note, um, predictions. Oh, oh yeah. yeah that. What's going to happen here? All right. Um, uh, in my picks uh, for my day job, I picked Biotech. And then, as happens, I talked myself into this. So we're doing it. Uh, Syracuse 31, Vatech 28. Schmidt, last second, 42 yard field goal to win it. We're doing it. All right. And we're all going to be mad about the field goal until it goes in. Just to be like at a fourth and one. Yeah, that's, that's the only way that can go. Uh, <laughs> for me, I am also going to put Syracuse in the win column. My, uh, my, my knock on wood, six and one record, picking Syracuse games on the line here. Um, where, yeah, I, I think that the run game is really going to be an advantage for them. I think the Traders going to learn a few things from last weekend. And I think having the extra day uh, to prep here could help a little bit too. Ultimately, I, I, I'm not just going to pick a win. I, I, I think that SU wins this one. Um, I'm going to go 27 to 21. All right. No one's allowed to yell at us for not picking Syracuse. We pick Syracuse all the time. We literally got yelled at like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. The, like we, we didn't pick the men's Liberty and we won. Great. We're all thrilled. Obviously we're thrilled. We yelled at us for not picking them. I'm like, we picked Syracuse to win these games all the time. And like, we're trying to be realistic. <laughs> we picked them against Albany the week before. Yes, we did not pick Albany to beat Syracuse. Um, so yeah, we're both picking them against Vatek. Fingers crossed. Um, I don't know. I, I, all it'll take is like one decent window, like make me feel so much better about this whole thing. We just really need it. Like, well, because realistically, we, this game we're like super screwed. Yeah, no. This is we're now I think past the the point of no. I think we're, we've we've crossed over into like okay, these games, these wins are really important to get, especially because we keep on leaving other potential ones like on the doorstep we now we we need to we need to pick up wins where we can get them because like that i'm still not super sold on Pitt being great great but they they're at least pretty competent uh nc state's number 18 in the country like even if we don't think those teams are as good as like the ranking might state they're still like pretty good and more reliable than we are so um yeah getting at least i think two of these nets three and none of them are be easy uh but I'm circling Vatek and BC. Um, very, very important. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think ultimately, like, if you win this one, you can figure out the rest. Um, I think I think BC and, and Vatek, like, like five and four. I, I won't say something ridiculous. Like, if Dino gets a five and four and doesn't make a ball, then she'd be fired. But it kind of depends on how it plays out. But it's. I think not making a bowl, even at this juncture, is still very, very disappointing. And I would have a hard time arguing with it. I agree, though. I think it's very unlikely that he's going anywhere, given the amount of money he's rumored to be owed. 
Yes. Again, the, the t- conversations for the future. It'll be uh, people are going to really come to it, it, like say they finish four and eight and it looks bad and we, we keep on shooting ourselves in the foot. People are going to have a real interesting time coming to the realization of like what Syracuse thinks that it's like how how Syracuse sees itself as a football program, which is uh, hopefully not a podcast we have to record in a couple months, but uh, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I hope not, because the amount of times I see comments about how we should be averaging seven or eight wins a year, and I'm, like, very confused as to what program they're talking about that I haven't apparently watching for decades now. <laughs> like, like, yep. like averaging, eight, averaging eight wins is not going to be something this program's ever going to do for, like, for more than, like, a two-year, maybe three-year, at absolute most stretch. People, People need to find the difference between averaging and when this happens, this is a really nice thing. And like, it hopefully happens more often than it is now. <laughs> sure. uh, Dan, anything else before we head out today? No, I think that's it. Thanks everyone for tuning in, you know, fingers crossed for this weekend. Hopefully we'll have a very cheery, uh, cheery BC week podcast next week. Great. Hope we, uh, hope we enjoy our Saturday. Hope we get to enjoy the, the hours and days that follow. Hope we get to, to spend Wednesday evening being happy about Syracuse once again after uh, increasing teeth gnashing. Agreed. Well, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Training Snaps of the Podcast. Great review. Subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast. I say Spotify, if not Spotify, too. Um, wherever you get your podcasts, and go Orange. Orange.